Good morning, Cal Mesa Church. How about uh, if you've been having a good summer so far, you give me a thumbs up. Hey, oh, I got two thumbs up like this in the back. It's a beautiful summer. I've been really enjoying the weather. I hope you have too. I was on a phone call with a church um, in Sonora uh, talking about how to teach Sabbath school, and they were saying it must be feel like hell over there where you are. And I said, not yet. It's really nice where we are right now. And so I'm happy to join you this Sabbath morning. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, dear God, we come to you humbly, um, knowing that you are more than we can ever be, and yet you love us. And so here we are listening um, to what you have for our hearts. Uh, may we receive uh, what your Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. In your name we pray, amen. Did you know uh, that in Japan, at McDonald's, you can order a free smile? And in 2022, a little over two years ago, this went viral on Instagram and Twitter and all the media. Because not only was a free smile on their menu, you could go to Uber Eats. Has anybody here used Uber Eats? There's no shame, nope, oh, one. Okay, there's one person who has used Uber Eats. If you didn't know what that is, it's if you don't want to cook or clean or do anything. You just pull out your phone and you can pick any restaurant. Click it and it comes to you. Well, on Uber Eats, McDonald's in Japan was offering a free smile. And obviously it was just kind of like a joke, a nice little thing to make you smile as you were ordering. Um, and someone decided, I wonder what happens if I order this? And so they ordered nothing but a free smile. Now, obviously, there was still shipping, and there was still taxes and all the fees, and so they paid all that, and then they waited. And they waited, and the Uber came, and they knocked at the door, and they said, here, this is your Uber order, and it was a McDonald's paper bag. It hadn't been opened yet, so it was just like a piece of paper. And drawn in a Sharpie marker, was a smile. <laughs> and the person who did this, I think his name was Trevor, the first person, he posted on Twitter, and he's like, this is amazing. And it went crazy. So then people are like, I wonder if I order two smiles. They come in, nothing, an empty bag, two smiles. Somebody ordered 167 smiles from a McDonald's in Japan. And it didn't all fit in one bag, so there was a couple bags, just little happy faces written all over the bag. That's service, hey? I started working at McDonald's when I was 14 years old, and they would always be on our back, like, make sure you smile, please smile. They would even tell us, um, I don't know if you know this, but on one side of the bag, there's an M, and on the other side of the bag, there's a smile. And what you gotta do is you gotta fold the bag so the smile is not covered, and when you, like, go out, reach over the window into the car, they see your smile, and they see the smile in the bag. And so when I became uh, when I got promoted at McDonald's, I thought it was like really cool. I was going to get a pay bump. I was more important now. I could tell little crew members, this is what you got to do. Make sure you do this. And I had to go to a very special training where they taught us two things. Um, the first thing was food safety, which is what you would expect. Um, and the second thing was how to have excellent service. And so they talked about how in the 80s and the 90s, McDonald's, almost everyone in the world had a free smile on the menu. 
and how one of our biggest indicators when we review crew members is, hey, I think we just want you to be a little more happy. Make sure you smile. Make sure you say thank you. Because McDonald's knows that the number one thing they can offer is a smile and a little bit of joy. For kids, that's a toy and a smile, right? And it's funny because you guys know when you go to any restaurant, the food is as you would expect. If it's worse, you probably make a big stink. Um, that's probably embarrassing. But probably the number one conversation you'll have is if the server is excellent or if they're bad. Service has way more an impact than we ever realize. And so today, um, we're going to look into a parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 17. And Jesus, if you know, is the most excellent service servant we've ever seen. And so Jesus in Luke is on a journey from Galilee, okay, close to his neck of the woods, his hometown, traveling to Jerusalem. And most of the last book, most of the last section of Luke is this long journey to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. And as he's going, he's healing, he's teaching, and he's trying to impart knowledge. And we have our parable for today. In some Bibles, it's called the parable of the unworthy servant. If you look in a Bible that was older, maybe a King James Bible, it'll say the parable of the worthless slave. Now, in today's language, in 2023, we don't really like words like worthless. We don't really like words like slave. And it's actually true that this passage, unfortunately, has been misused a lot. Um, this is one of the passages in the 1600s um, when the idea of Christianity was starting to be taught to African slaves. And this is one of the verses that slave masters would use to say, sure, if you want to be a Christian, that's okay. But if you're going to be a Christian, now you have to be a super servant. Because this passage here in Luke says, you've got to serve no complaining, nothing. And so this verse, unfortunately, has been used to encourage slavery, which now we know is bad. Um, because all humans, regardless of class, where you're from, what you look like, are equal, valued, and loved by God and should be loved by us. But I think in our society of trying to avoid the slave language, we skip this parable. We skip this parable when it is true that God is worth more, more powerful, stronger, and more important than all of us. So the relationship of God being the master and us being the slave is actually quite fitting and one that we should talk about, right? It's no wonder that Paul says our aim should be to be a slave to Christ. Um, and so t today, I want to kind of break through this parable. And every time we say servant um, or slave or all those things, can we all just be on the same page? We're not talking about people with masters and servants. We're talking about us and God. We're the servant. Um, God is the master. And so if you can open up to Luke chapter 17. Um, they're on this walk with disciples and other followers and Jesus starts talking about sin, and he starts talking about doing the right thing. In verse 1, it says this, And he said to his disciples, Temptations are s and sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so in a paragraph, Jesus starts teaching and the disciples say, oh boy, temptation is going to come. We're just going to have to deal with it. We better not do anything to tempt people around us. We better not sin. When other people around us sin, we better forgive them, even if they do the same thing to us seven times every day. If someone bothers you 49 times a week, you got to forgive them. And the disciples are listening to this teaching on, to the, on the way to Jerusalem, and they're like, Jesus, this is too hard. This is way too hard. I already thought I was doing a good job. I can't do any more. And so they cry out to Jesus in verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord says, Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now this is a very famous verse, and in this context, it shows us a little, a little thing maybe then, a little thing different than we usually talk about this verse. Because it's almost like Jesus is saying, there's no levels of faith, there's no rewards if you are a person of good faith and a person of medium faith, or maybe there's less rewards if you're a person of little faith. There's just faith, on or off. Even if you have a mustard seed of faith, that's all you need. And so in the midst of Jesus saying, do this, be like this, forgive, do good, don't tempt. And the disciples say, we, we don't have this. We need more faith. Jesus says, no, you don't need more. You just need a little bit. And then he tells them the story. The story of the unworthy servant. Um, I'm going to read it for you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly. Serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. In this passage, Jesus is using an analogy that everybody understands. In first century Christian world, I mean, I guess they were not mostly Christian, but in the first century, 25% of people were slaves. That's a lot, one in four. Some of them sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. Some of them were born into slavery. But that also means that 25 to 50% had slaves. And so everybody listening to Jesus knows exactly what slavery looks like. And so when Jesus asks them these three questions, they know all the right answers. He says, if any of you guys has a servant and he comes in from the field. He's been working the fields all day. And he comes in. How many of you guys are going to say, hey, come sit with me. Just relax. We're going to eat together. The crowd is like, what's this Jesus guy saying? No, no. And Jesus is like, you're right. No, we would never do that. Because you are way more important than a servant, right? 
So then he says, rather, actually, and he asks him another question. Won't you come in and say, welcome back from work, change into your kitchen serving clothes, make me a meal, serve me the meal, watch me eat it. After I finish eating it, then you can have your food. And now the people in the crowd are saying, yeah, Jesus, this is how it's supposed to be. This is the master and, and slave relationship. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Now, one more question. After this has all happened, how many of you think that the master should say, servant, that was a delicious meal. You worked so hard today. Thank you. Again, the crowd murmurs, no, 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 no. We don't need to say thank you. That's what servants do. We don't have to say good job, pat on the back, give them a, a what do they give those? A, a bonus. None of that. That's what servants do. So Jesus pauses. He looks at them. And everybody in the crowd is thinking like a master, right? Do you hear it? They're thinking they're the master. And he flips it. And he says, so then you, who know so well what a servant is supposed to do, shouldn't you, when you obey all that's been commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done what is our duty. And he leaves the story. That's the end of the parable. It's a high calling to be a servant of God. And I want to talk about three principles in this parable that Jesus tells us of what it means to be a, service, a servant. Um, principle one, when we're talking about being servants of God, we are talking about a personal relationship, okay? When you're talking about being a servant of Christ, that's one and one. That's what happens between you and God. In this parable, it's a very middle, lower class family. And we can tell that because the household only has one. They can only afford one servant. This is actually the worst kind of servant to be. In a much richer household, you only take care of the food, right? When the boss isn't looking, you can like play games on your phone, make sure the food tastes good, you're good. If you're on the fields, you just work the fields, but when you go home, then you can jump in the pool, have a good time. If you are a one servant in a one household, you wake up, you get stuff ready, you work in the fields all day, you come home, you make dinner, it's just you. That's like when you pastor your own church. Thank goodness Calamesa has as many pastors as we do. Praise the Lord. And so, this servant is just him. And I think Jesus does this on purpose because almost every other parable that has servants, there's multiple, except for this one. Because when it comes to being a servant of God, it's just what happens between you and God. Now it gets a little dangerous when we start thinking being a servant of God is between us and God. Because we get really smart and we think about all the work we need to do in our community and we say, let's just divvy it up. And I'll do my portion, you do your portion, and we're all gonna serve God together. And what has happened sometimes to some of us is Instead of our whole life being in service to God, only a window is in service to God. For example, we might have people who are um, really good musicians, right? 
And they say, I love to serve God, but this is where I serve God. Only. I love to serve with my hands, and I'm a deacon, and I can fix things. Don't ask me to, like, do anything else. That's where I serve. And so this language, and it's very good, a lot of other places in the Bible talk about this, that we are one church, one body, with different roles working together. But sometimes we start looking at what we are doing as a family and as a community, and we take a little step back when it comes to our own service. And so that's why it's important to know, when you are serving God, it's just you and him. And you give him everything because it's just you and him. You're the only servant. There's no one else who's going to pick up the slack where you fall. When you serve, it's a personal relationship with the master. The second principle is this. It's always God first, me second. Now that one is pretty obvious. I think most of you guys could preach a sermon on putting God first and yourself second. In this parable, though, we see this pushed to the max because the servant has already given a whole day's labor. He's worked in the fields and with the sheep all day. And he comes home, and if there was labor laws in Israel, and there wasn't, he would say, I'm done right here. I need to take some me time now, okay? Find another servant. Order Uber Eats. Do whatever you want to do, but I'm done because I need to take time for me. In this society that we live in, we live, unfortunately, and fortunately, in a society where we over-appreciate ourselves, where we're a little entitled in what we have. And so this is what it what mean, what means. Um, have you ever been a little tired, so you choose to take a whole day off? Have you ever done so much homework, and you know you have more, but you decide this is just not going to be a homework day? Have you decided, like, I've just, like, given so much to my kids, I just, like, want to, like, just drop them off and, like, just do me for a little bit. Guys, those are all very good survival techniques, and we need to do them sometimes. Because we can't work ourselves to death. Okay, Alfred? We can't. But because of what society is teaching us, more and more are we being pushed to serve less, work less, and take more time for ourselves. And so this tension of God first, me second, is a message to us today. Because it's really easy for me to make God first sometimes and then me first other times. And in this passage for the servant, it's dawn till past dusk, God first. Now you guys are probably saying, being a Christian sounds exhausting, Pastor Mark. I don't want to do this. This is actually not the sermon I came here to hear. <laughs> I just wanted to hear a nice sermon, and you are telling me you just got to do more. Just serve more. Give more. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. The third principle, we serve for no reward. We serve not because God is going to give us anything, God himself is just the reward, and that's supposed to be good enough. Now, this gets a little tricky. In, in our parable here, uh, Jesus asked them, shouldn't then the master go to the servant and be like, good job, thank you. And everybody says, no, 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 don't do that. Servants just serve. 
And so Jesus says, then you too. When you do good, when you serve, you better do it for no reward. And unfortunately, this is directly opposite to how we are as humans. Because when we do something, we better get something back. If we're, getting, if we're giving hours, we better get paid. If I'm signing up for something, there better be something in it for me. And I know this is true because in our church, there are certain members who love our church so much. And they love our church so much that they always think it's a good idea to get on their phone and call a pastor, so me or Pastor Joseph, and tell us everything we need to do. Okay? They're telling us all the ways we should serve. And sometimes it's annoying as a pastor, but always it means that person cares about the church. And you know I've noticed a pattern. The person who calls is always the person who serves the most. If there's someone who doesn't serve in our church, they're not calling me saying, Pastor Mark, I think we should do this and this and this. That never happens. I've seen this pattern of the more someone gives to the church, the more they think they should run it. And I'm not saying that to point that at anybody. I'm actually pointing it at me because if you happen to be on the church board of this church, unfortunately, and I was thinking about this week and so I'm apologizing to everybody, I will walk into board meeting and this is my attitude. I have my laptop and I'm ready to present what I'm gonna present. And I walk in thinking this. I do more work than everybody sitting at this table, so they better vote yes with what I'm about to say. Even me, I'm like, I'm putting in the time, I gotta get the reward. And so it's really easy for us as Christians, and often it's subconscious, and that's why we have to reflect. We serve, but really, subconsciously, we're waiting for whatever pros and whatever gifts, whatever praise we're going to get because of that. And so we need to check ourselves. Are we serving God for no reward? Now, there's a couple life analogies that are actually very useful in thinking about this. Um, for example, parents. I think typically parents would like to imagine that um, they are the master <laughs> and kids are the slaves, okay? But I actually think functionally, it's kind of the opposite. It's very unfortunate how it works like that because the parents serve and serve and serve and serve their kids. But, but, yeah, actually there was a couple amens. Um, wouldn't it be silly if at the end of every day, a parent sat their kid down and said, I made a list of all I did for you today, all the ways I, ser I, ser I served you. Now say thank you. Where's my reward? Pay me back for what I gave you. Some, that would be silly. Unfortunately, sometimes we do that long term. We say, you, maybe if you're a kid, you've heard this, and maybe if you're going to college, you've heard this. 18 years, 18 years I've given everything for you. I wanted to have fun. I couldn't have fun. But I served you. I loved you. I just want you to be good to me. That's what every mom sounds like. You are all laughing. You are all laughing because it's silly. Because 
all loving mothers serve and they don't need anything back. They serve and they're like, it's okay. I've given and I am a parent. That's what parents do. Same goes with teachers. Teachers are the same. Can you imagine if teachers only taught to the level of what gifts they're going to get at Christmas time? If at Christmas time you only got an apple, that was it? There wasn't like the, the seized candy and the mug and that was just an apple? I'm not teaching that kid anymore. Teachers don't do that. That's silly. Because teachers teach. They don't need no reward. And so for us, if we claim to be Christians, to be servants, um, even if we want to push the language, say slaves of Christ, we do what we do for God because God is who he is, that's it. There's no reward we hope for. There's nothing else. We serve because we serve. The secret to the unworthy servant, the, the servant in this parable, is being focused on who he is, not on what he has done. I'll say that again. The secret to the unworthy servant is being focused on who she is, not what she has done. Because as soon as we start keeping track of what we've done, we're good at keeping track, right? We internally start recording all the good things we've done. Isn't it such a silly phrase, a good Christian? Have you ever heard someone say that about someone else? He's a good Christian. You know what that means usually? Well, actually, wait, let me rephrase. If someone says, he's a good Christian, they're probably lying. But if somebody says, he's a really good Christian, what they're saying is, that's a Christian who serves over the top, who gives over the top, who does way more than every other Christian. But that's silly because Christians just serve. Even in the language we teach each other sometimes, um, you have no, many no, you have no idea how many times I'll baptize someone and someone will come up to me and says, Pastor, that's another jewel in your crown. As if the weight of my crown and the shininess of it is the most important thing in heaven when I'm actually in the presence of the Savior. And so it is our duty as servants to aim to live a life where we are not just serving, but our hearts are changing so it becomes a knee-jerk reaction, no reward necessary. There's um, this, uh, you guys know this, uh, when we talk about the army, we use the word serve, right? When you're in the military, they serve. They give years. Um, uh, they probably could be, actually, maybe they make money. I'm not sure, but they're serving at that time. The peak of the peak of service in the military within their ranks is if you go into like special services, special forces, you are the best of the best of all the people who serve the United States. For example, the Navy. Um, there's this business guy, his name is Simon Sinek, and he got access to watch, teach, and study the Navy SEALs. And as he was studying them, he was trying to figure out who made the best Navy SEALs. Was it the people who were the best with the guns, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest? Who were the best servicemen? And this is what he says about it. Simon mentions that only 10% of Navy SEALs who make it in to training finish training. Only 10%. And these are his insights as to who gets through. It's not the big muscle-bound guys. They look impressive, but they don't have what it takes. 
It's not the tough, tattooed guys. They look scary, but they don't have what it takes. It's not the college-educated stars. They look and act like leaders. They don't have what it takes. The ones who make it through don't necessarily look impressive, and there may be times during the training they are literally shivering in fear. But the winners, and this is what Simon says, at some point during the grueling, punishing training, when they're exhausted and mentally spent, it doesn't look like they can go on. They dig deep, and they find a way to help the person next to them. At the peak of the highest, most skilled military servicemen in our nation, the ones who make it to the top are the ones who are willing to serve first. Serve last, serve when they're at the end of their rope. They serve. And so the call for us as Christians is to serve. Maybe you're someone sitting who feels like you don't really serve at all. Start. Talk to Becky. Talk to one of us pastors. Look up a food bank you can go to with your family. Start to serve. Maybe you already serve um, quite a bit. Talk with your family about maybe how you can serve more effectively. Maybe there's other avenues. Um, you could ask Robbie how you could help with all that's going on here on Saturdays. Maybe you're the person who's like, Mark, I actually served the most already. And like, I have no more time. That's good too. Thank you for your service. But start to ask yourself the question, am I doing it for the reward, for the prestige, for the honor? Or am I doing it just because I chose to serve God? Just because I love God? That's kind of the end of it today. I know there's no, like, happy ending. And the reason why I, I want to just, I just want to say this is because uh, we are in a series. And what I love about series is we get to have context into where we are going. And so I'm going to not say what I'm going to say, but in the future, Pastor Ken and Pastor Darren are going to talk about the other parables with servants and masters. And the thing that we have not talked about today, we just talked about us, how we can be servants. If you come back, come through when Pastor Darren and Pastor Ken speak, you'll see that the master, Jesus, is unlike any master that the first century church and we have ever seen. But until then, let's go out, let's serve, not for re reward, but just because it's for God. God bless you guys. Dear God, we are so thankful that you are a God who is worthy to be our master. Um, as we reflect this week on what kind of servants we are, um, I just pray that you send your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, make us more humble, give us more courage to help others, um, give us the energy to be faithful to the end with you. Um, we love you so much. Um, keep us safe till we return together again. In your name we pray, amen. Man, happy.